0: Well, <clears throat> we're in a series called Priorities. Everybody say Priorities. priorities. Mark 12, is your memory verse. I want you to read it good and strong. Ready, go. Jesus said the most... I'm going to send all of y'all to the Catholic Church for three weeks <laughs> so you'll learn how to say it together. Okay, so the past seven sermons are up here on the screen. The first four, we use the first four commandments on putting God first. Then we talked about taking care of ourselves so we can continue to do what God's called us to do. And the most important person in your life is your spouse above every human on planet Earth. And I realize, you know, last week we talked about marriage. And did y'all learn something last week about how we're the, you know, we're, we're the marriage. is the Okay, so I know when you're not married... It is very awkward to hear a sermon on marriage in church, think, oh, I don't want to hear this. So I apologize for last Sunday, okay? And today. Part eight is this We're going to talk about having a, a fantastic marriage. A fantastic marriage. You know, too many Christian couples live together like their roommates. There's no passion in the marriage anymore, there's no communication like you did when you were dating. Uh, You just kind of put up with each other for the kids sometimes, and I know some Christian couples, they'd rather be anywhere in the world than in the same room with the person they're married to by themselves for more than 30 minutes. They just can't handle it. Here's why. It's because you've gotten lazy and selfish. Those are the two main words for having a bad marriage is you're lazy and selfish, and really it started off as a fantastic marriage. I mean, the first week of marriage was probably the most fantastic week of your life, But then, little by little, you started prioritizing other things above your spouse. You started thinking, well, um, you know, he's doing okay so I can take care of the kids more. Or she's doing okay so I can focus on my career. And just because they're quote-unquote okay doesn't mean that you have the right to dishonor God by putting someone else above the spouse the person that you're married to okay it says in Ecclesiastes 9 9 and 1st Peter 3 two, enjoy life with your spouse enjoy loving her It doesn't say put up with her it says enjoy life with her it says she is your reward and she's not like one of those Chuck E Cheese rewards that you can return that you don't like okay 1st Peter 3 two, wives are to enjoy their husbands this is a command everybody say command Now, before we get into real tough stuff, I just want to kind of lighten the room a little bit, okay? I want to make sure we still love each other. And so, um, let me just tell you something funny. I was studying this week about how men and women are different. Do y'all do know men and women are different, right? Like, they're incredibly, okay. Men and women are like cats and dogs. Now, I don't know which one's the cat and which one's the dog. Um, I'll let you decide that, okay? So, cats, they do whatever they want to do. They rarely listen, and they're totally unpredictable, when you want to play, they want to be left alone. When you want to be left alone, they want to play. They expect you to cater to their whims. They're moody. When they stare at you, you don't know if they want to kiss you or kill you, and they leave their hair everywhere. Is that a woman or man? Oh, come on. That is such a woman. What kind of man are you married to? I'm just kidding okay i'm just kidding okay 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 dogs dogs can lay around all day sprawled out on the most comfortable piece of furniture in the house dogs can hear a package of food opening a block away but they can't hear you when you're in the same room with them dogs can look dumb and lovable all at the same time they growl when they're not happy when you want to play, they want to play. When you want to be left alone, they want to play. <laughs> They're great at begging. They leave their toys everywhere. They eat disgusting things, and then they want to give you a kiss. <laughs> but they'll love you forever if you just feed them and rub their tummy. Is that a man or woman? <laughs> okay. Oh, by the way, we got our first cat last week. He was delicious. Okay, so the reason I chose having a fantastic marriage is I love studying language, and the word fantastic comes from the same word, same root as the word fantasy, okay? And I want to show you the meanings. They're very, very similar. The word fantastic for your notes means this. It means um, appearing as if conceived by an unrestrained imagination. The word fantasy means this, imagination, especially when extravagant and unrestrained. I believe that God's desire for every Christian marriage is this, for us to say what we have is a fantasy. If I just closed my eyes and imagined the greatest friendship ever, it would be what we have today. I think that is God's dream for every Christian couple. Now, if a fantastic marriage is a 10 and you're living as roommates is a 5 and you use the divorce word, you know, once every three months is a 1, um, I believe there's bad news and good news. The bad news is, is whatever level you've gotten to, you started as a 10. But you started prioritizing other things and not focusing on each other, and you got lower. Okay, you didn't get that way overnight. It was a gradual process, subconsciously, just not focusing on the right things. That's the bad news. Here's the good news is whatever number you're at, with all of my heart, I believe you can leave here today with a ten. But here's the thing, then tomorrow you have to choose to be a 10 as well, and then the next day you have to choose, it's a daily, what I'm going to teach you today is a daily thing, uh, with, your, with your marriage, your spouse, it's a daily relationship, it's not weekly, it's not on Valentine's and, and your anniversary, it's a daily thing, just like your relationship with God is daily, the next highest covenant in the universe above salvation with God is marriage, and it is a daily thing, a daily thing, so let me tell you how easy it is to have a fantastic marriage, if you want to do that today, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 says this. A man should fulfill his duty as a husband. A woman should fulfill her duty as a wife. Each should satisfy the others. What's that word? That's a fantastic. Listen, when when your needs are being supplied. Now, um, some of you are thinking this. Well, the Bible says that God shall supply all of my needs, okay? Sometimes God supplies through himself, and sometimes he uses his creation. And stay with me. When Jonah needed a taxi to get to Nineveh, God did not pick him up and put him on Nineveh, God sent a whale. Whenever um, God wanted to provide for the widow woman and her child, God did not make the bread appear. He sent the prophet Elijah. When God wanted to heal the paralyzed man in the Gospels, he didn't just heal him. He used his friends to lower him through the roof of the church for him to be healed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. There are some things in a marriage that only you can provide for your spouse. God himself will not do it. It has to be done through you. I'm just going to throw one out there so you understand what I'm saying. For instance, sex. When your husband wants sex, God does not send an angel from heaven to take care of that. Although some of you ladies think pretty highly of yourself. Okay, anyway. Okay, so God does not send a whale. God does not send the prophet. God does not send your husband's friends to do that. There's only one person in the universe, and his name is not God to provide sex for your spouse, and you know who that is? It's it's you. It's it's who's married to them. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so here's what I need you to understand. A fantastic marriage is simply this. My needs are being met. Today. Today my needs were met. We have a fantastic marriage. Here's a horrible marriage. My needs aren't being met. Now, there's incredible danger in unmet needs. Incredible danger in even one day of unmet needs. And those are things like this. Unfaithfulness. A mind filled with lust, um, emotional separation where your, your, your husband or you maybe you harden your heart was well, she they didn't take he didn't take care of me today and your heart gets hard and so this wall starts creating listen unforgiveness which is a horrible way to live um, and then of course it always leads to divorce okay so here's what happens in marriage it starts off all exciting you're meeting each other's needs and then after time goes by you start exerting that energy that you're supposed to be exerting to meet their needs and you use that, exert, that, exert, that energy to try to change them and to fix them or to hang out with your friends or to put work ahead of your spouse. So what I'm going to teach you today is not going to cause you any more energy at all. You will not have to expend anything that you're not already expending. You just have to get it in the right direction. So instead of using your energy to change your spouse, Use your energy to meet, put it on the screen, please, to meet your spouse's needs. That's the goal. Because, you know, when, when, you're, when you're dating, you know, you think, that oh, the way he does that, it's kind of cute. But then you think, but well, once we get married, that little cute thing has a life expectancy of about three days. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to take care of that. And so instead of meeting the needs, you're trying to change. You, you understand what I'm saying? Everybody okay? Okay. Okay. So we have three points for you today. These are daily things. They all start with the letter C uh, because C is for cookie, and that's good enough for me anybody watch Sesame Street growing up Okay, that's where I learned how to preach okay so um it also stands for Christians okay so point number one for your notes is this communication communication should be daily Uh, Matthew 12 34 says this if you love someone it should come out of your mouth if it's in your heart it should come out of your mouth women love communication they can talk for hours if our Bible studies were three hours long Ladies would love it. Men would hate it. They'd never come to anything like that. But now here's the secret. Men, you're actually incredibly good at communicating. You're incredibly good at talking because you did it so much when y'all were dating. I mean you could each y'all could have both had a, a chili dog with onions and your breath is all stank and you can still stand. You'd be three inches from her face and you just talk and talk and talk and talk. You wouldn't smell nothing. It'd be just the greatest time ever. And then you'd go home and you'd call each other on the phone. Remember that? You talk till 2 a.m. and I'm so tired. So tired. okay, well let's hang up. Okay, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up. We'll hang up at the same time. Okay, ready? One, two, three. You didn't hang up. No, you didn't hang up. Y'all remember those days, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I find so exciting, so interesting, is uh, back in the early 2000s, these Yale professors, they decided to, with permission, put um, audio equipment in people's homes, and they did this study for about 10 years to hear how, men and, how husband and wives talked to each other for just one day, one day. Listen, pr- they can predict a divorce to a 93% accuracy based on hearing a husband and wife talk to each other for one day, or listen... The lack of talking to each other. Up to a 93% they can say within 10 years you're going to get a divorce or you're never going to divorce based simply on hearing how they talk to each other. That's amazing. So ladies, because last week I told you that you're the superior ones I'm going to start with you. Ephesians 5.33 A woman is to respect her husband to notice him, to esteem him to praise him, that is verbal to praise him and to admire him greatly. Wives, you should be your husband's number one fan. There should not be another woman in the world, including his mother, that praises your husband as much as you do. Don't ever speak to him disrespectfully. Don't ever speak to him in a dishonorable way. You could destroy his soul with the words that come out of your mouth. You say, well, my husband, he's made a lot of mistakes. Every man in this room has made a lot of mistakes. Every man in this room. If you have a husband that goes to church and has a job, that's in the top 1% of men on planet Earth. And if he tithes, that's in the top 0.1% of men on the planet Earth. You can go to some other bozo, but he's not going to be the godly man that you're married to. Now, I realize people do make mistakes in marriages, okay? In, my, in our marriage, I think we have a fantastic marriage about 364 days a year. That other one day, we go from a 10 to a 1 and then back up to a 10 the next day. But as soon as she apologizes and I forgive her, we go forward. <laughs> Because 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love does not keep a record of wrongs, and I am a good godly man, and I will forgive her every time she apologizes. Okay, so there's two words that every man hears, and these are the only two words every man hears when someone talks at him. These are the only two words he ever hears, and it is this, success or failure. There's no other word a man hears. He's been hearing these words since he was a boy. With everything his father said to him, with every coach he had, everything that comes across his path is either this, success or failure. When you say to him, uh, you forgot to, to load the dishwasher correctly, here's what he hears. Failure! Well, you left your sock drawer open again. Failure! Why didn't you clean up your trash? I've asked you three times. Failure! That's all he hears. Let me ask you a question. Why do you even need to say it? Why don't you just... Do what you're saying. Why don't you just throw the trash away yourself and serve him? Why does it need to come out of your mouth? Here's why. Because you want to force your superiority on him and make yourself feel better by letting him know you made a mistake. That's the only way should do it. Why not just serve him and and, and shut your mouth like he does for you in different areas? And you say, well, I want to change him. That's why I keep telling him he's doing it wrong. If if one day he'll finally get it, if you really want him to finally get it, the one time he throws his trash away, throw off your clothes, do a little dance, and he'll never keep that trash out again. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. That is the God's honest truth. I'm not even joking. You, change, you, 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 you move someone forward through praises, not through telling them what they're doing wrong. No one has ever changed being told they're doing something wrong. Nobody. You think, well, um, my husband, he should just be more secure. He should just be able to take it. Men are incredibly emotionally, um, um, they're, they're incredibly emotional. They are, but they've been told by society to hide it, to never talk about their feelings, to never show their feelings. Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read the Bible? Listen, the women in the Bible, right? A teenage girl, an angel comes at, You're going to give birth to the Son of God. Here's what she says. Well, be it unto me, even as you have said. When Deborah and the whole place is going to hell, Deborah says all to all the men, get up and fight, men, and follow me. Here's what men say in the Bible. God, kill me. I can't take another day. There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations written by a man. <laughs> Lamenting. Have you ever read David in Psalms? God, this is so horrible, life's so bad, but I give you my tears and I give you my life. Oh God, I feel like I'm in hell. That's how men are on the inside. But we've been told to hide it. A man is emotionally sensitive to the same level that women are physically sensitive. So when you speak dishonorably to your husband in any way, it is equivalent to him punching you in the stomach. It is exactly like that. You are punching him in the stomach with the words that come out of your mouth. And as a side note, he loses testosterone, you know, based on the way you speak to him. Why do you think it says in Proverbs 21, 9, It's better to live on a flat roof exposed to weather than a house with a nagging and fault-finding woman. If you don't know what this means, a nag is simply someone that repeated herself. You say it twice, you're a nag. You're a nag. Now let me read this to you in a different way. There's more of a chance that your husband can fulfill his destiny as a man of God if he's living outside among the elements away from you than in a mansion with a woman who finds fault. In other words, your mouth could be the only reason your husband does not fulfill his God-given destiny. Uh, Psalms 22.3 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. This means that God dwells in homes that praise him. Right? I realize God is everywhere, but he manifests himself. He shows up. He does his thing in a house that praises him. A man will only dwell in a home where there's praise. You say, well, I don't really praise my husband. He still lives in our house. He might be there physically. But his mind's somewhere else. His mind is on whoever shows him the most respect and the most honor. That's where his mind is always at. Okay, um, men, I'll go to you. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He wrote Song of Solomon in the Bible. It's a love story. I think it's about eight chapters long. In it, he praises his wife over 40 times. Every morning he would wake up and the first thing he would do was look in the eyes of his wife in Proverbs 31, 29 and say, There are many women, but you excel every one of them. You know how wise this statement is? Because women, all they do is compare themselves to other women. Their weight, their hair, their looks, their outfit, all these TV women, um, magazine women, all this. And here's what Solomon said, I recognize there's a lot of women out there. You're better than every single one of them. Some women haven't heard a compliment in years. All they hear is you burn the dinner, the kids are being too loud, you should exercise more, on and on it goes. In verse 28 it says her husband boasts and praises her. That's verbal. And then you know what happens when he does that? The children rise up and they call their mom blessed. The way a child treats their mother is equivalent to the way the husband treats his wife. If you have a child that is disrespectful, rude, rebellious to their mom, it's because they saw that same spirit in the man she's married to. That's why they treat her that way. You say, well, John Paul, you don't know my wife. At church, she's all spiritual, but when we get home, behind closed doors, your wife is exactly who you have cultivated her into being. Are you the one that says, honey, we need to get up and go to church? Are you the one that says we should pray about this? Are you the one that says we should read our Bible? Are you the one that affirms her? If she's nervous and agitated and anxious and depressed and all this, it's a reflection of the man she's married to. 1 Corinthians 11:7. The wife is a reflection of the man's glory. She is the woman who you have cultivated her into being. You know, when I was studying for this, I didn't tell my wife what I was preaching on, and I just asked her randomly throughout the house. I said, "Hey, how many times do you think I affirm you each day?" Now I was hoping she'd say between 25 and 50. That was my goal. You know what she said? A hundred. I said, really? I said, yeah, about 100 times a day. And I thought, you know what? It is about 10 times every hour, every text, every phone call, every dinner, every time we're together, when we wake up in the morning before we go to bed, it's constantly, you're beautiful, love your outfit, thank you for doing this for the kids, dinner was great, I really appreciate this, you're working so hard there, I think you're the best, I mean all through the day. And you know what? I get whatever I want at night <laughs> because I affirm it throughout, I get any. I want at night. If I want a turkey sandwich, she makes me a turkey sandwich. Y'all were thinking other stuff, you weirdos. If I want peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and jelly. I get, (laughs) okay. Men, your wife needs to connect to you on an emotional level every day through your communication. She doesn't need to hear what you think. She needs to hear what you feel, and you have to do it. And you used to do it when you were dating and trying to win her over. You know, I hear different groups, you know, throughout the church, the men's groups. Every time I hear a woman's group, I hear women saying this. Well, I really feel that da 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 When I hear a man's group, I always hear this. Well, I think that na 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 um, Men, your wife needs to hear how you feel. She wants to hear how you, what made you feel angry today. What made you feel um, insecure What made you feel happy and what made you laugh? She needs to hear about your feelings. Let me tell you something about women, godly women. They can handle anything you have to say. She wants to know how you feel about your father growing up. She wants to know how you feel about your best friend in kindergarten. She wants to know your whole life and that's how she connects to you emotionally. Now, if you want what you want from her, you have to meet this need. If she has to go outside of the home to connect to somebody emotionally, there's something wrong with you men, and Satan will provide another man to do that. And that's sick. That's sick. If she's at work and she gets an email, she calls you, and Honey, I to talk to you told for a minute. And you say, baby, I'm busy. We'll talk about it tonight. There will be a man at her work that'll say, Oh, let's just go in the break room. Just tell me what's going on. I'll listen to you. Because once you connect emotionally, the next step is, is physical. First Peter 3 7 says this husbands, you should treat your wife with honor so your prayers are not hindered. Can you believe God loves your wife so much? He won't listen to you unless he's heard you speak correctly to your wife. Amen. I mean, that's 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 some big stuff there. Um, I'm gonna really, I'm gonna really um, get the women in a second. Okay, so men, I need you to be very humble with what I'm about to say. Okay, pretend like you really love. Okay, um, I want to do some role playing. I want to be God, and I want you men to be men. Okay, <laughs> okay, should be easy for you. Okay, I want all. Of, how many of you men in the past three months? have asked God for either wisdom, forgiveness, help, or, or strength, something? How many of you men have asked God, God, I need this? Okay, good. I want every man in here to say to me, uh, I want you to say, um, uh, Lord, please forgive me. Say it. Lord. I'm busy. I can't. I got, I got something with the angels. We're going bowling tonight. I want you to say, um, Lord, I need some wisdom. I can't, I'm watching TV. After I'm, done with, I'm watching Touched by an Angel or, or, or Highway to Heaven. I'll get to you after, after the news is over, after the news is over. Would you want God to do that to you men? Then don't do it to your wife. If you want God to put his hand out when you need something from him, don't put your hand out when your wife needs something from you. You good? Okay, point number two. Are you all okay? Okay. I'm not. I'm nervous. Okay, point number two is this. Connection. Connection, 1 Corinthians 7 and 5, do not refuse sex to each other. Then Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Can you believe, now I don't know if y'all get tempted. Maybe only pastors get tempted. Okay, maybe it's only me. Have you ever been tempted to eat too much or to cuss somebody out or to road rage, you know, drive? You get tempted. Can you believe there's somebody God put in your life who can actually stop Satan from tempting you in a certain area? That could destroy your marriage. That God actually put someone in your life who can, where Satan can't tempt you, if you provide what they need. That kind of blows my mind. Now, um, a man does not want to uh, be intimate um, with a woman to nag. If you're thinking, well, you know, John Paul, my husband, he doesn't have a big sex drive, and he doesn't, you know, he's, he's older, he's not as much testosterone as he used to have, and you know, no, no, um, the only reason a man would not want to touch or hold a naked woman who he's married to is because he doesn't like her. The only reason he doesn't like her is because of her mouth. Why would a man choose a computer screen over his wife? Now you're thinking, well, it's because the way a computer screen looks. Pornography has nothing to do with looks. It has to do with control. See, the woman on the screen, she doesn't talk back. The woman on the screen doesn't find fault. She doesn't nag, she's submissive. Now, it's evil, it's satanic, it's demonic. And if you want demons in your home, then just keep denying your husband, that's totally fine. But that's that's the reason. So a man does not want to make love to a woman who has a a nasty mouth. And listen, a woman doesn't want to make love, love to a man who she hasn't connected to emotionally, or she'll feel like a robot or a slave. So when you're supplying what you're supposed to supply, They'll always supply what there's everybody okay? Yeah. I don't know if y'all are okay. I think the men are like, thank God I came to church today. <laughs> Where's my notes? I need a pen. Permanent marker. Find me a permanent marker. <laughs> I don't have a paper. I'll write it on my arm. Write it on my arm. Do not refuse sex. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> oh my gosh. I expect all you men to like give me a gift card to top golf or something. Like, I want something for this, okay? Okay, so <laughs> Solomon, Song of Solomon, he's writing about a husband who, um, who desperately wanted to be with his wife, okay? You can picture, because if you ever read the Song of Solomon, it's, it's just a great love story. Picture like Fabio from the 90s, right? And he's knocking on the door to his wife's bedroom. And he says, baby, I want you. And I can't wait to be with you. And this wife in the Bible, uh, she started making excuses. And she had, I'm sure she said something like, um, I just don't have the energy. And here's what he's thinking. You have the energy to take care of the kids. Are they more important than me? Oh, I just I don't have time to take a bath. Well, you have time to go out with your friends for lunch. Are they more important than me? See, with every excuse you give, you're saying this. You're not my priority. I gave that energy to someone else. Okay? So in Song of Solomon 5.6, here's what she says. When I finally, finally opened the door, my love was gone. I died inside. I wanted to hear his voice. I desperately searched for him, but my love had disappeared. When you refuse to meet this need in your marriage, your spouse will leave you emotionally. And they'll put up a hard heart. And a man never wants to be rejected more than once. After that rejection, unless there's forgiveness and you repent for it, his heart gets hard. His heart gets hard. And once a hard heart, then now I'm not meeting your need. And now my heart's hard, and now I'm not meeting your need. It just goes back and forth and back and forth. And so this woman, uh, she had a very interesting thing she did. She went out among the town, and in verse 9, I'm sorry, in verse uh, uh, six. she started asking people, you know, uh, I need you to help me find them. Where's he at? Where's my husband? In verse 9, someone said to her, what's so special about him? What's so special about him? Now, here's the thing. If she had just thought about those things before, it would all turned out different. And see, a lot of you ladies think, you know, the, the lady that really affirms your husband at work, you think this, well, she doesn't know all of his faults. That's true. She also doesn't know all of his amazing strengths that God put inside of him and all the things he sacrificed for the family and the times where he repented to God for things that he did wrong and the times where he humbled himself. That lady at work doesn't know that about your husband, but you're too busy thinking about the bad things rather than the good things. And so she responded in verse 10, Well, he's handsome and strong. His face is smooth. His eyes are beautiful. His cheeks are... These cheeks up here, people, okay? Keep your mind where it needs to be. His cheeks are as lovely as a garden. His lips are like lilies. This was a weird-looking man, by the way. His body's like ivory. His thighs, he's like a Lego creature that somebody put together. His thighs are alabaster. His mouth is sweet to kiss. If she had only had that affirmation come out before she denied her husband. But it was too late. He was already gone. She didn't know how good she had it until he left. Okay, men, your turn. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives. Be affectionate and sympathetic with them. Don't be harsh. Affectionate means this. Hold her hand throughout the day, even when you don't want something from her. Rub her back. Massage her feet. Give her a hug. You think, oh, that's not my nature. I like to play with guns and chew tobacco. Okay, listen. You might, I don't know who says that, people from Aner, but um, you you may not, you may not be Romeo, but you married Juliet, and that's what she wants, and that's what she actually needs. She actually, needs a, you know, it's so funny. Um, was the, was a bunch of pastors many years ago. I was a young guy, and uh, there was this one old pastor in, in the group with us for lunch. Old guy. And he started talking about his wife. Man, I have the best wife in the world, and she's better than all your wives. Man, we've been together for 50 years, and she's the best. And so we said, what's so great about her? And this old pastor said this. He said, well, she's an angel in the kitchen and a devil in the bedroom. <laughs> he was like 80 years old. I was <laughs> like, wow. Okay, ladies, when, when, when they want to... They they think of affection. They think about all these guys on Young and the Restless and Guiding Light and As the World Turns and all these soap operas, okay? Ladies, if you will dress like Victoria's Secret, he will act like Young and the Restless. I promise you. I promise you he will. Um, This man, he took his wife to the doctor because she wasn't acting right. And the doctor came back and said, well, your wife is emotionally sick. He said, what does that mean? The doctor said, well, she needs three hugs, two kisses, and one word of affirmation every single day man thought about it. He said, but doctor, I can only bring her to see you twice a week. (laughs) Okay, no more jokes. Okay, so um, the biggest hurricane that Myrtle Beach has ever had, I I believe, is is Hurricane Hugo. It was a Category 5 in 1989. I was 10 years old. I remember everything was gone. My grandparents had a beach house and we found the the refrigerator like 10 miles away in another city. I mean, it was amazing. Huge hurricane. Crazy. But um, the whole Grand Strand lost electricity for weeks. And there were no cell phones back then, so there were no phone lines. All phone lines were down. Nobody could go to work. It was a horrible time. But I did some research, and do you know that more babies were born nine months after Hurricane Hugo than any other month period in the whole history of of Myrtle Beach up until that point? Isn't that amazing? You know why? Because the men couldn't watch the news all day. The women couldn't talk on the phone to their friends. Nobody could go to work. There was nothing to do. So you know what they did? They talked, and they made love. And they talked, and they made love. And both were giving each other what they needed, and it showed. That that blows my mind. Now, let me close with this, and I'll get to point three real quick. Um, There's a really dumb uh, Christian phrase that people say. It's really dumb, ignorant. And they say, well, sin is sin. I hate that phrase because sin is not sin. And if if you say it in a way as... um, God can forgive any sin if you repent, then that's true. But if you say sin is sin like all sin is equal, that's not true. That's as ignorant as saying, uh, well, breaking the laws, breaking the law. If you murder somebody or if you drive over the speed limit, same thing, right? That's ignorant, right? Sin is not, it's not all equal. Biblically, one of the worst sins, and let me say worse because um, he forgives all sin. Biblically, the sin that has the most horrifying results in your life is sexual immorality. First Corinthians 6, 19 says, Every sin a man commits outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Honor God with your body. Twelve New Testament scriptures, twelve, say that if you're continually sexually immoral in an area without repentance, you're not going to heaven, you're not saved, and there's no place in heaven for you. What it means is, is if there's an area of sexual morality where you think, well, this is okay, I can do this and still be a Christian, no big deal. That's a lack of repentance. Your thought should be, God, please forgive me and help me to change. You might fall again. God, please forgive me, this is wrong, help me to change. That's the correct way. But um, without repentance, it means you're just not saved. If you, have no, if, you, if you think that you're doing what's right, even though the Bible, you're not saved. Okay, so um, if you're having sex outside of marriage, um, you don't get the blessings of that person because God's not there. You actually get the demons of that person. And uh, unless you you have to break the soul ties, it's a whole other teaching I'll do. But sex outside of marriage, sexual morality, rape, sexual immorality, Um, sex trafficking, sexual morality, homosexuality, sexual. You understand what I'm saying? These are all categories of the same sexual morality. Okay? Denying sex in your marriage, sexual immorality, is the same thing as rape, sex trafficking homosexuality, sex outside of marriage. It is immoral because it goes against the morals of God in the area of sex. Listen, don't keep living that way. Don't keep living that way. Repent to your spouse and say, baby, I am here to meet your needs. That's why God gave you to me. That's why God gave me to you. You understand that? Okay. Love means this. You're doing what's best for someone whether you feel like it or not. Love is not a feeling. First Corinthians 13, it is not a feeling. Okay, I got the women earlier, so, um, I mean, I got the men earlier, so now I really want to get the women real quick before we go into our final point, which will only take two minutes. Uh, Ladies, let's say that God spoke to you audibly today and gave every wife in this room the name of a person at MUSC in Charleston who is dying of cancer. And God gave each one of you wives an individual's name and said this. If you will go to MUSC today and lay hands on that person who has cancer, the gift of healing will be through you, and God will heal that person of cancer, and they'll walk out of the hospital and never have cancer again if you'll go pray for them. How many of you women would actually drive all the way to Charleston today to pray for that person to meet that need? But you won't drive to your home 10 minutes away and meet the need of your spouse when you're the only person in the universe, not even God, only person in the universe, who was supposed to meet that need. See, I know you drive to Charleston to help somebody get healed of cancer because you're the only one that God's given to be able to do that, but you won't help somebody be healed of lust or unforgiveness or all the things that go along with not meeting the person's need. Okay? Last point point, we're done. Point number three. Y'all are doing so good. I can barely look at you, but y'all are doing good. Okay? Last one is this. Commitment. And this is a daily thing. These are daily things. You can have a 10 today. First Timothy 5.8 If any man neglects his own family, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever. Here's what marriage is, till death do us part. Marriage is not a feeling and love is not a feeling. And they go hand in hand. Just so you know, love's not a feeling. It's a choice. Marriage is not a feeling. It's a choice. For instance, when Jesus was in the garden and he's sweating great drops of blood because he knows his best friends are about to Turn their back on him as he goes and dies the most horrifying death that any man has ever gone through in the history of the world. Do you think he was feeling all fuzzy and warm on cloud nine? And oh, this is gonna be so much fun. I just feel so happy right now. Is that how Jesus felt when blood was coming from his pores? Did he go to the cross though? Yeah. Because love's not a feeling, it's a choice. If it was a feeling, he asked God three times, is there any other way? Remove this cup. Is there any other way? He wasn't feeling it. But because he loves you, he made a choice, and he he kept, he he was committed to it, okay? Um, His commitment to us is I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And it looks something like this. I just wrote it in layman's terms, but no matter what happens, if you repent, I'll never leave you blasphemy is the only unforgivable sin. Blasphemy is this, I don't want you. I don't need you, I don't want you. That's blasphemy, right? So that's where God says, okay, you don't want me, then nothing I can do. But here's what his attitude is. No matter what you tell me, no matter what happens, no matter what takes place, if you're just willing to stay with, I will always stay with you, right? My whole life, I've never had anyone ever say that to me until I got married to my wife. Never. 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 I was always on eggshells. And she told me, she said, listen, no matter what, you you can tell me anything. Anything. I might be a little bit hurt, but I'll never leave you if you still want me. If you're willing to work it out, I will always, I will never leave you. You know how many married couples have never looked each other in the eyes and said, no matter what, I'm never going to leave you. You can act a fool. You can be the dumbest. You can do whatever. But listen. If you're willing to work it out, if you still want me, I'll always want you. You know what that does to a marriage? Think about when you go to Jesus. Does Jesus ever say, oh, I can't believe you told me that again. Oh, you shocked me this time. I need three weeks apart from you to deal with this. Does Jesus say that or does Jesus say, tell me anything and anything so that I can cleanse your heart, so that I can forgive you, so we can keep going forward. And that's what makes us want to go to Jesus. Think about if you would tell your spouse, no matter what you do, just so you know, I will never leave you. Do you know that opens up so much communication in a marriage? Ephesians 4.26 says this, don't go to bed angry. Another way to say it would be this, don't go to bed unfulfilled. Because when you're unfulfilled, you get angry. There's a true story of this couple in their 50s. They've been married for about 30 years. They got married in their early 20s and one day, the husband had a mild heart attack, and he was rushed to the emergency room. They checked him out, and they said everything was okay. They released him, but right when they were releasing him, his wife showed up, and she was beside herself. She said, honey, what happened? He said, it's okay. Just a mild heart attack. They're letting me go. She said, no, no, I could have lost you today. Today could have been our last day together. He said, baby, I'm fine. She said, no, this hurt me so bad. Our time is so valuable. She said, so here's what I want to do. I want us to do something special. She said, make me a promise. That I promise, what is it? She said, every night before we go to bed, I want us to kiss on the lips seven times just to show each other how much we love each other. She said, oh, honey, whatever you want. That night they started. And for the next 25 years, every night they never went to sleep without kissing each other on the lips seven times. When she was about 75 years old, she was going for a walk around the neighborhood, just like she had done every day. But this day was different. She tripped on some concrete. She fell and hit her head, and she died. Her husband preached the funeral, spoke at the eulogy, you know, and he told how they never wasted a single day and how they loved each other. They lived life to the full. And then he closed the whole service out by saying, My wife died on Tuesday morning, but on Monday night, I kissed her on the lips seven times. See, she didn't die angry. She didn't die bitter, she didn't die unfulfilled, she died fulfilled. My encouragement to you today is this, practice godly communication, connect every single day and tell that person, no matter what, I'm not leaving you and you'll have a fantastic marriage. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay.